We don't coordinate who's telling what story that could have stood out of Cuba when you've been there for seven days. And the two people who give testimonies, one in a first service, one in a second, basically tell the same story of a little girl named Ashley, gave her life to Christ, you know, the impact that it made. And um, yeah, I wish I could take time to tell my, my version of what God did during that time. Uh, I'll just save that for conversations along the way. But man, what an incredible trip. Thank you for your prayers. Thanks for those of you who gave to help people to go. And uh, God made a huge, huge difference that's going to last forever. Psalm chapter 23 is where we are. Probably the most absolute uh, well-known passage of Scripture in all the Bible is in Psalm chapter 23. If, if you go to a funeral, it is hard to go to a funeral and not hear Psalm chapter 23. Sadly, however, that's usually about the only place we ever really hear it. And, uh, and yet, whenever we read through this chapter, it's only six short verses in length, and when we read through it and really chew on it and move slowly like we're doing in this series, what we find is that there are truths that are there that apply to our lives on every single level. And so King David wrote this 3,000 years ago, wrote it about 1,000 years before Jesus would come and be born, uh, and yet everything he wrote is, is just as applicable today as the day he wrote it. And so what we've been moving through is this series entitled Sheep Life, right, because the whole premise of the... Psalm is that God is the shepherd and you and I are sheep. And so he's talking about life as sheep lived in submission to the shepherd, lived as we follow God's lead in our lives. And so uh, that, that's kind of the whole background. That's the whole foundation of this psalm is that God is the shepherd and we are the sheep. We're going to see a little tweak to that here in just a little bit as we move through this message, but that's kind of the backstory. And so as we've been moving through this psalm, we've been moving slowly, pulling out truth along the way. And this morning we're going to be in verse 5. So let's go ahead and read the whole thing. We've been doing that every Sunday. Let's read the entire psalm. It's just six verses long. And uh, you read along with me in your copy of Scripture or on the overhead behind me. So David writes and he says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. And surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So this morning, the focus is going to be on verse 5. David has already laid out the role of God in our lives, right? That if we know him through relationship with Christ that God is going to fill that role of shepherd. He's going to be our guide. He's going to lead us through uh, the paths that he chooses for us. He's going to provide for us to the point to where we can say, I have no legitimate lack in my life, right? He takes care of my food. He takes care of my, my, my uh, resources. He, he takes care of my shelter. He provides for me, right? Th that's what the shepherd does for his sheep. And David lays all that out for us, and he talks about how God gives us peace and how he gives us contentment, or, or at least the circumstances for us to choose contentment, and, and how he even walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death, that when we walk through the, the, the most fearful moments in our lives, that God is going to be there with us, to walk with us, and he's going to be able to leverage those moments ultimately for good, that when we walk through those times in our lives, we do not have to fear, not because we're strong, not because our, our faith is so strong, but because our shepherd is with us. He says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. He then gets to verse 5, and let's go ahead and just read verse 5, and then we're going to pull out some things this morning that hopefully will bring this verse to light, will really make it clear for us and show us how we can live it out in our lives. David writes in verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, 
You have anointed my head with oil, and my cup overflows. So David is shifting gears here a little bit in this psalm, right? He was talking about the shepherd, and if you look at Psalm 23 and ask him what's the theme of Psalm 23, I mean, everybody, myself included, is going to say, well, the theme of Psalm 23 is that God is the shepherd, we're the sheep, all right? We kind of built the whole series around this. But when we get to verse 5, David has already shifted in the psalm. He's not just talking about God, now he's talking to God. But in verse 5, he also shifts away from the whole shepherd deal, right? God is not so much being pictured as shepherd in verse 5. Now he's shifting the metaphor, so to speak. And he's comparing God to something else. No longer the shepherd, but here he's comparing God to a host. A host with guests. Those that are invited and those also that are not invited. David understood when he wrote this psalm that God was introducing something that hadn't really been covered much in this psalm yet, and that would be the whole concept of enemies. And David understood a lot about enemies. David knew enemies. David was accustomed to being on the run. Much of his life was on the run. He knew what it was like to, be, to have enemies in his own household, right? There was a time later in David's life when his own house, in some ways, would turn against him. He would be uh, 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 at odds with uh, part of his own family members. He would have a son that would want to take the throne from him, that somewhat set himself up as an enemy against David. David understood this a little giant, right, by the name of Goliath, almost 10 feet tall, and he went toe-to-toe with Goliath as an enemy. David would spend a lot of time on the run from Saul, his close friend, right, that he had developed a relationship with, a friendship with. He served Saul in Saul's court, and he would ultimately succeed Saul as king, and yet David would be on the run because Saul wanted to take his life, tried to kill him on at least two different occasions we read of in Scripture. David knew enemies, He understood. So when he writes in verse 5, you have made a table before me in the presence of my enemies, he's probably thinking in his mind, all right, I got this enemy, this enemy, this enemy, this enemy. In fact, look at what he says in Psalm chapter 69. You don't have to turn there. Look on the overhead behind me. Psalm chapter 69, another psalm where David lays out what it looks like to have enemies. He says, save me, O God, for the waters have threatened my life. I have sunk in deep mire and there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters, and a flood overflows me. I am weary with my crying. My throat is parched. My eyes fail while I wait for my God. Those who hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head. David could easily relate to that statement. He said that I can't even count the people who are against me. Those who are without cause. Those who would destroy me are powerful, being wrongfully my enemies. What I didn't steal, I then have to restore. So David is recounting, and he's relaying here, I understand what it's like to have enemies in life. And here's what he communicates to us. He says, you may have enemies in your life, and you weren't the one who caused it. David says, you might have enemies in your life, and you're not even, you didn't even do anything wrong. A lot of times when we think about having enemies... Say, like, if you hear about a person you've never met, and the way that they're uh, explained to you is, oh, yeah, this guy, he has a ton of enemies. What what are you going to think first? Oh, he must be a bad dude, right? He treats everybody badly. He's probably horrible in the way he lives his life. He's he's created all these enemies. That's not always the case. And what David said, or, or what we see there, is that we can have enemies when we've done right. We can have enemies when we are walking the walk. And David is a perfect example of that. He could totally relate to the words in Psalm chapter 69. He had a a slew of enemies in his life, right? He was constantly, it seemed, at least in the early and middle stages of his life, on the run. He understood. So it begs the question then, so what enemies do you have in your life? 
or maybe rephrase a little bit better, what person or what thing has set itself up as an enemy to you? For some, it may be a specific person. Let's say, for example, maybe it's a former friend or an ex-spouse, right? And all you hear from them is bitterness, venom, angry words that cut like a knife and that tear you down to nothing. You didn't do anything wrong. There's nothing you can do to change it. But what you face is someone in your life who has set themselves up as an enemy to you. Or maybe it's the guy three doors down at your workplace, and he wants your account, or he wants your office, or he wants your title, he wants your job, he wants whatever it is that you've got that he, that, that you, that he doesn't have. And what you have learned is that he'll say whatever it takes, true or false, about you to get whatever it is that he has or that he wants that you've got. And he has set himself up in opposition to you. He set himself up as an enemy against you in your life. Maybe it's not a person at all. Maybe when you think about those things that have set themselves up as enemy against, enemies against you, maybe for you it's regret. Maybe it's, maybe it's that, that reminder, right? Just as you begin to gain speed in your relationship with God, just as you begin to, to, to kind of lift off, so to speak. I mean, you're, you're, you're growing, you're walking, you're, you're uh, you know, plugged into ministry, you're reading Scripture. God is working in your life. God is changing your life. You've got joy, you've got hope, you've got purpose. You, you've got the sense of freedom in your life that you've never had before. And just as you begin to, to gain speed, right, there's this regret that comes back to mind that just jerks you right back down to earth again. And that regret, right, has brought you to uh, set itself up as an enemy in your life. Maybe it's some sin that you do business with and you have wrestled against and you've tried to overcome. You've tried to, maybe you've even conquered some sin in your life and you've tried to leave it in the past, but it won't stay there, right? And, and it keeps rearing its ugly head and it's stealing your joy. You can't forgive yourself even though God has already forgiven you because you've asked him to. And that sin has set itself up as an enemy against yourself. How do we deal with the enemies that come in our lives? David helps us to understand here in a very creative way. And the way he tells us is by stepping outside of the whole shepherd understanding of Psalm 23. And he now presents God not only as shepherd, but he begins to present God as our gracious, loving host. And I love the language that he uses here in verse 23, or in chapter 23. Bring up verse 5 again. Let's take a look at how David explains it here. He mentions in verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Doesn't sound like David's talking about shepherds and sheep anymore, right? He's talking about hosts, and he's talking about dinner guests, and he's describing a table that has been set out. Now, I don't know what kind of food's on this table, but when David writes the words to this psalm, he probably has some kind of an image, maybe, uh, of the food that is spread out on this, this spread of food, this dinner table that's been set. As for me, I like to let my mind wander a little bit, right? Maybe God gives us some uh, opportunity to be creative and to read between the lines. So when I picture the table that is set before me in the presence of my enemies, I see fried chicken on there, I see steak on there, I see banana pudding on there. I see Krispy Kreme donuts. I see a sack of crystals. I see sweet tea, and I see more sweet tea, and I see peach cobbler. I see a lot of sweets. I see some stuff that's really tasty, not much that's good for me. That's kind of what I see laid out on the table, okay? So I don't know what you see on that table, but David says, you, God, you, my gracious host, you have prepared for me 
a table in the presence of my enemies. Now, here's the interesting thing. When he's talking about the enemies, the enemies are both there, but they're not there. <laughs> so follow me for a second. They are there, but they're not there. They are, let, let's just say it this way, English phrase. They are on the outside looking in. They are close enough to see what's happening, but they are not close enough to be a part of what's happening. And I think what David is describing here can be summarized in one single word, and that word is vindication. It's vindication. See, when you think about your enemies, probably what you think about, if you're like me and if you're human, when you think about enemies, what you sometimes often think about is how can I pay them back for what they've done to me? And you start thinking about ultimate vengeance, really, ultimately, how can I get vengeance on my enemies? Jesus turned the tables in the New Testament. He said, no, 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 we don't operate that way. V vengeance belongs to the Lord. All right, he knows everything. He's the one who, who hands out justice accurately and wisely. All that, vengeance is up to the Lord. He says, as for you, Jesus would say later in the New Testament, you pray for your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who despitefully use you. Right? Pray for your enemies. We're called to love our enemies. We're called to display Christ ultimately to our enemies. So he's not speaking here. David's not saying in Psalm 23 verse 5 that we're supposed to go after our enemies. He's just painting an accurate picture of how God deals with our enemies when we're following him faithfully. And he says of God, he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. In other words, you vindicate me, God, in the presence of my enemies. Look at another psalm here for just a second that, that, that we read a little further on. Look at Psalm chapter 73, just a portion of the psalm. We jump in midway, verse 12. It says, Behold, these are the wicked and always at ease. They have increased in wealth. Have you ever wondered why the people who are against you so badly and who are against God so badly seem to have greater success than anybody else? You're not the first person to wonder that. Surely in vain I've kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. <laughs> and it's just kind of that, you know, why have I even tried to walk a walk that is right? Surely in vain I've done this. Verse 14, for I have been stricken all day long and chastened every morning. And if I had said I will speak thus, behold, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. When I pondered to understand this, right, this kept me up at night. I could understand why those who are my enemies seem to prosper, and I'm the one who seems to suffer. When I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight until, until I came into the sanctuary of God, then I perceived their end. In other words, what is being dealt with here is this whole aspect of vindication. Not that we make enemies pay, but when we think about those that are against us, for whatever reason, when you think about that ex-spouse that just buries you under condemnation, buries you under bitterness and anger, when you think about that person who just spews lies about you over and over and over, when you think about your enemies and you didn't do anything to call them to yourself, you didn't do anything to deserve them, when you think about them, what this psalm is telling us is that God wants one day will vindicate you before them. I think about, I think about that teenage girl, right? Who says, I know Jesus, I've given my life to Christ. I am going to live my life by a standard of purity. I'm going to walk in righteousness. And at seemingly every event at school, every single time there's an opportunity, her friends are just running her down making fun of her, mocking her for having a standard of purity in her life. Imagine the day, and it may be decades later, when one day she looks back and she sees that God has honored and that God has blessed that standard in her life, and she looks back at many of her friends who didn't have that same standard, 
who have bags packed full of baggage that God saved her from. No, she doesn't hate them. But she's vindicated. God's way is best. It's the business person who on every business trip is tempted by their coworkers to bend the rules, to step outside the lines, to just enjoy this one night out. Your, your family will never know. Bend the rules. Fill out whatever you want on that expense report. Get whatever you want from the company. You deserve it. You work hard. And imagine that business person saying, no, I have a higher authority in my life, and I'm going to honor him with the way I live. And he's mocked and he's shamed, maybe even loses his job because doing it God's way doesn't always produce what the world's looking for. But he can lay his head down at night with peace and a clear conscience. And he's vindicated when he sees the wreckage that comes when we step outside of God's way of living life. It's like my friend who was in a court case, called to be a part of that court case, not because of anything he had done, but because he was an expert in a certain field, and he was called to give testimony. He wouldn't have done it if he wasn't made. And he went in and he laid out his testimony in a way that was accurate, in a way that was true as an expert witness. And that testimony for a part of that, for, for a part of that trial was basically just mocked and ripped apart until the judge himself at the close of the case, looked over and basically said, you've done well. Thank you. In the eyes of his enemies, was vindicated by none other than the judge. David says, I have my fair share of enemies. But my God is a host who has prepared for me in the midst of my enemies, a table that is overflowing with abundance. And it's in the presence of my enemies, not included at the table, but on the outside looking in, who see that when I walk with God faithfully, it's my God who takes care of me. So who are your enemies today? And how strong of a voice do you allow them to have in your life? And are you listening to their voice more loudly than the voice of your gracious host, Lord Jesus Christ himself? David goes on to say, verse 5, you look at that verse again, he shifts gears again, still talking about the host. He says, not only has he prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies, not only does he speak truth over my life that weighs more than what anybody else will ever say, not only can I trust him that he will one day vindicate me and one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he, is, he alone is Lord, but also my host has anointed my head with, with oil to the point to where, he says, my cup overflows. The picture here is almost like an Old Testament imagery, you know, when people would be anointed and, and that, that oil would be poured over their head and you can almost see just an overabundance of oil. There is an old saying back in the old country church, right? If you were to ask somebody, how are you doing? Sometimes they would say, oh, I'm just drinking out of the saucer, which means not only have I been blessed to the point to where my cup is full, but it has overflowed to the extent to where I hadn't even got to enjoy the cup yet. I'm just drinking out of the overflow, right? And that's kind of the image here. I think that probably comes out of this particular image to 
to the point to where God is the gracious host, blesses, blesses those who are yielded to him, blesses those who are committed to him to such a point to where it's as though he has anointed them. When he anointed in the Old Testament, it was for a specific reason, for a specific call, for a specific purpose. And when that, uh, that, that oil would be poured over their head, it would be a symbol that God was saying, this one's with me. This is my choice. This is my person. This is my man who I've called to lead. And David says that in his life, even in the presence of his enemies, not only does God set a table, a table of abundance and a table of joy and a table of peace and a table of purpose in our lives, despite our enemies, but he says, he has also anointed my head with oil in an overflowing manner to the point to where it's as though God himself, in the presence of my enemies, as they stand at the gate and look in, they get to hear God say, this one's with me. And it's vindication. It's David saying, no matter if this whole world is against me, I am not going to waver in my commitment to God. I am not going to waver in my life that is focused solely, supremely on him. And when I walk with him, he's going to set a table for me. He's going to give rain in the midst of drought. He's going to give food in the midst of famine. He's going to provide for me companionship in the midst of loneliness. God is always going to be good. The day will come when everybody looks at my life and those who are my enemies and those who mock me and those who shame me will see that my life was a life that was yielded, but it was also a life that was blessed because the God I'm yielded to is not just my shepherd who leads me and guides me and takes care of me, but he's also my host who sets a table before me and who blesses me beyond compare. You know, when you look at your particular life and you think about the things you do as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, maybe for you some of it is out of ritual, you know. I come here because I have to. I tell people about Jesus because I have to. When we understand this verse in its context. What David understood was, no, I don't come to the house of God because I have to. I come to the house of God because I get to. And I don't tell people about the abundance of God, my shepherd, because I have to. I tell people about the abundance of God, my shepherd, because I, because I get to, because I want to. And David says, I don't follow God because somewhere in the contract when I prayed and decided that I was going to follow him, you know, there was some fine print that said, okay, i got to follow him in every area. David doesn't say, I only follow him because I have to. David would say, no, I follow the Lord because I get to. And the day is going to come when for all of eternity I'll be able to celebrate being in the house of the Lord forever and ever and ever and ever. He's going to get to that in verse 6. But for verse 5, he's saying, you know what, there is no enemy against me that he's not able to overcome to the point to where I think this could be our takeaway and you may want to write this down that our takeaway is this that we have the opportunity to live today like one who ultimately wins in the end that's not just pie in the sky that's not just fluff I think what David is getting at here is that in the face of a fallen world where enemies are very real we have the opportunity to win to live life today as though we win in the end. You know why David could say that? Because he knew he would. You know, Jesus would come along a thousand years later, would be born of a virgin, would die on a cross, would rise from the dead. And he would explain to us in the midst of his ministry that the only ones who get to the Father, the only ones who get to the shepherd, are the ones who come through him. No one comes to the Father, Jesus would say, 
except through me. Why? Because I am the way, and I am the truth, and I'm the life. If you've never given your life to Jesus today, that Savior that Scripture speaks of invites you to the table. He invites you to the table in the midst of a fallen world. He invites you to a table in the midst of your life filled probably, if you're like most of us, with a lot of regret. He invites you to a table that's already been set in the midst of sin that sent him to a cross. And he invites you to a table like that because he loves you. (laughs) And he has set a table for you in the presence of your sin and your enemies and all that's against him. Because he wants you to know him and to walk with him. Not just today, but every day of your life. So have you given your life to Jesus? If not, no better time than today. And if you have, maybe the thought for you when you wake up tomorrow is to live like you're one on the winning side, no matter what's against you. Because a God who walks with you wins in the end. How can you yield to a God like that? How can you follow a God like that? And how today can you give him honor through the life that you live in a way that will impact others? Let's pray. God, we thank you today for the privilege of knowing you. Lord, there's a misconception, I think, in Christianity that when a person is right with you, that somehow life gets really simple and easy Every road becomes smooth. There are never difficulties. And, and Lord, if there are, it's our own fault. Lord, certainly a lot of times we create our own issues in life. But Lord, many times the road gets very rocky. And the valley gets very deep because we live in a dark world. Jesus, you know this better than anybody. That world crucified you. And Lord, we find ourselves at times with enemies that are against us, not because we ask for them. In fact, the very enemies we have, we may pray for every day. But still there are people that are set up against you and in so doing are then set up against us. And Lord, sometimes we face it in subtle ways. Sometimes it's more overt. But God, what you've called us to is not to live a life where we try to get others back for how they've wronged us. But Lord, you want us to pray for our enemies and you want us to love our enemies and you want us to serve our enemies because that's what you did when you walked this earth. But at the same time, you want us to understand that in the midst of sometimes all that junk, you have set a table for us that is abundant. And you proudly stand beside us and you claim this one's with me when we know you through Jesus. That you have anointed our heads with oil, our cup overflows, we are so blessed. And in the midst of the wilderness, in the midst of the drought, in the midst of the famine, in the midst of our enemies, you have set a table for us. And that table is a table of blessing. So God, why would we not walk with you? Why would we not want to sing about you? Why would we not want to study your word to know you better? Why would we not enjoy the life that you've given us? When you are a shepherd, you are a host, walk this life with us. So God, for those that have never given their lives to Jesus, I pray that maybe today even would be the day when right where they sit in childlike faith, that they pray, they lay down their sin, they invite you, Jesus, to come in and to forgive them and to take over. It really is as simple as that. And yet, Lord, it is the biggest decision we ever make. It's, it's when we decide who our Lord will be, either ourselves or someone else or something else or you, Lord Jesus. 
And so for those that have never given their lives today, understand they don't have to jump through hoops or talk to me or go to a priest. Lord, all they have to do, Jesus, is invite you to genuinely come in, forgive, and take over. And God, for those of us that have done that, Lord, help us to understand that even in the midst of a fallen world, we have hope and we have joy. That you call us to something bigger than ourselves. That as we walk this walk, we not only walk with you, but we put you on display to a world that desperately needs to see you. And so God, whatever decisions we need to make to apply all this to our lives today, help us to make them right. And God, bless this time of decision we ask. In Jesus' name.